let's call it like I'm a commercial broker by trade. So although I run a team of 30, 33 agents that do residential and investment, me personally, I'm a commercial broker by trade. So I sell. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Welcome back. I'm Sarah Larby and you are listening to Where Should I Invest? I've got a great guest today, Simeon Papa Elias. You guys might have known him if you watch or listen to the REC Experience, which is an, another awesome podcast. And Simeon is a real estate investor and also works with real estate investors. Um, one of the really interesting things is the commercial real estate uh, this time of, uh, you know, of the pandemic, I suppose. But um, Simeon and his partner, Jas, who is, was also a recent guest on my podcast, um, they have built an incredible um, brand for themselves and also have been helping investors scale their portfolio. So I'm really excited to have him come on. He's got great energy and uh, he's also a wealth of knowledge. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. And if you have not yet uh, found out about the Burr Freedom Community, feel free to ask me about it. And uh, spots are limited. It is going to be live calls in groups, and uh, I'm super excited to start that just to be able to help others scale their portfolios using the Burr strategy. There's going to be a couple calls every single month. It's ongoing, and there is ongoing support as well with our Facebook group and our community where you'll have access to ask questions along the way, and it's going to be really exciting to, to create the Berg community and have you guys scale your own portfolios. Cause ultimately, you know, I'll tell you in the beginning when I first started investing, it, it, it was super fun to do my own deals. And then over time, it's way more fun to watch others be successful and do theirs. So um, hopefully you guys enjoy that. And uh, if you haven't yet registered for the Burr Freedom Community, let me know, Sarah at sarahlarby.com. I can send you some more information about it. So on to, uh, let's go to the podcast and let's bring in Simeon and enjoy the podcast, guys. Simeon, welcome to the show. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me. Hi, Sarah. I'm uh, excited to have you on. We've been talking about doing a podcast for a while, and I know you're going to have so many great insights. You've got tons of knowledge. You've been doing real estate for a while. I know that you're going to uh, be able to, to share some great insights. But before we get into that, can you let the audience know a little bit about yourself, what you do for real estate investing, and how you got started? Uh, for sure. So my name is Simeon Papaelius. I'm one of the co-founders of REC Canada, and uh, we are a real estate advisory group, first and foremost. Uh, it's comprised of myself and my partner, Jazz. We're both avid real estate investors, and uh, we buy and sell real estate as brokers. Uh, we run Canada's largest real estate team. We finished last year uh, first in the entire country for volume and 80% of our book of business is investors. So we represent investors almost 500 transactions a year are investor-related. Congratulations. Those are big achievements. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, well, it took us a long time to get here. Uh, and, and we both got started. We're, we both had a, a sales background. I was in, 
I worked for both uh, banking institutions and contingency companies in their small business portfolios, and I sold financial instruments. I also collected financial instruments. So I truly learned how to negotiate while my while there. So in my early twenties, uh, it was restructuring people falling into debt into small business products offered by the big banks. Uh, meaning, so you're a small business owner, you owed this much on your line of credits. The minute you slipped one or two payments behind, myself uh, and my supervisor who trained me, and then I became a supervisor, would take your situation, analyze it, and, and find solutions to get you either reconsolidated or basically restructure your debt. Once I learned what that was all about, like you see an opportunity. So they typically always use equity in their homes or equity in their businesses or equity in their commercial assets to restructure. And that's really what got my, 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 my brain going saying, like there is nothing better, there's no bigger security blanket than real estate. So some of these companies were huge, but like the minute they got into trouble, there was only one lifeline they saved them on, or in 90% of cases. And it was real estate that provided them with that security. And that's when I got into real estate sales and started understanding it. And I became a real estate investor. By 24, I owned my first uh, condo investment. And my, my, I, I, I already owned my first property that I lived in at 22. And by 24 is the first time I bought my first investment property. What was your first investment property? A condominium in Red Deer, Alberta, which I still own today. Interesting. And just out of curiosity, how much did you buy that for? Uh, I bought at the very top of Alberta's market in 2006, 2007, right before Alberta's great collapse. So um, I bought it for $360,000. Unfortunately, it's the only asset in my portfolio that never worked out as an investment. But I can also say it's the one of the only investments that's never cost me a dime, meaning it's always cash flow. Rents in Alberta are strong. Vacancies are always low, and I've never, I've never paid a, a penny out of my pocket. So I'm still nursing a loss in equity uh, and in top line. But because I, I'm not a big uh, seller of real estate, I actually only sold one property out of my entire portfolio. I, I'm a long-term hold guy, so this too will come back to to win at some point. But it's my first investment is still my worst investment in history. That's funny, but, but you're right. Like you don't necessarily realize the loss until you sell it. Same thing with paper assets, right? I mean, if the market's down right now, it's temporarily lost. As long as you're not cashing out, you're, you're technically not lost. That's correct. Like the, the real estate game. So what does your portfolio consist of today? I have multifamily. I own some multifamily assets in the core of the city of Toronto. I have a lot of condos. I have uh, lots of pre-construction as well. My family, which I hold an interest in, has some commercial holdings. And uh, I also, I'm a serial entrepreneur, like I own uh, a lot of businesses. And uh, as we speak currently, uh, we're, we're building some uh, new restaurant concepts in the core of the city. So. Interesting. So, so you're well diversified. It seems like you've got some residential, some commercial, some, some businesses, and you work with a lot of investors. So what's some of your, your tips and insights about how to, and you've got, you know, some stuff in Alberta as well. How, how can somebody diversify in your opinion when it comes to, to their investments, um, paper assets, real estate investing, et cetera? What's the best, the best way? Uh, you're so, well, to, to answer the question, uh, the best that I can. To, to tell anyone what the best is, it, it's so dependent on their personal goals and current circumstances. 
But what I will say from a, from a high level, if you're going to be at 30,000 feet looking down, if you're a new investor, you really, really need, the first thing you need to do is educate yourself uh, and build your power team. And I've said this, probably I've been quoted on this 6,000 times. We get asked this by magazines all the time, by every publication in Canada. I'm a regular contributor to, to Bloomberg and to Bloom, to the Globe and Mail. And uh, every time they ask us for an opinion that's not currently market related and it's kind of a strategy, is you, there is no way you know it all. And I can tell you there's no way that I know it all. So every single day there's a new anecdotal situation that creates a lesson. As a new investor, you must assemble a team of professionals an investment-focused realtor, an investment-focused lawyer, an investment-focused accountant to really take a, a deep dive into your personal situation. What do you have? Do you have uh, lots of registered funds that need to be deployed into lending? They need to be deployed into development? They need to be equally diversified in, in financial instruments like mutual funds, ETFs, RSPs, etc.? Or are you a cash guy? You're sitting on a million bucks. Or are you somebody who has nothing? You've saved up your first 30, 40,000 bucks and you're looking to get into real estate. What's the best thing to, for you to do? Where do you start? So what I would tell the guy who's just starting uh, is I would say you need to learn how to house hack. You need to get a roof over your head and you need to split that roof with others while they're paying your mortgage. So I would, I would ask that you buy a duplex or triplex. If you're really determined to grow, you need to live in the basement. So you get the highest rent possible on the, on the main and upper floors. So, so you need to start building your nest egg. If you already own your primary residence, what's your first investment? I would say start with something easy. Get yourself a little condo, outskirts, make sure that you're buying a, a place that has manageable maintenance fees that don't have any capital expenditures coming up or special assessments. And learn what it is to be a landlord. Learn what it is to serve your tenant. Because people have that notion that you own the tenant and you're bigger than the tenant and you're better than the tenant and truly you're not. Yeah, no, absolutely. So you work in Toronto. I mean, you have a beautiful office there. You have a lot of investor, like people that are looking for condos. And I wanted to take a moment and ask you about condos for a second. Cause when I think of condo sales, you're probably up there with the top three people that I can think of in terms of working with investors when it comes to condos. And there's always some things, there's pros and cons to every single type of real estate investing. And, you know, just like there's pros and cons with investing in condos. What are those pros and cons and why are you a big fan of condos? Uh, sure thing. So what I will tell you, so the biggest uh, volume that we do when we're talking condos is pre-construction. So I'll talk a little bit about the strategy and I'll definitely give you the pros and the cons of it because there are both. So when we're making a pre-construction investment, the main reason we're doing it is because people typically will have a specific amount of money available to them already by the time they reach us. So when they're building their power team, they seek, uh, they seek us out as, uh, as kind of the, the power brokers in, in the business. We've been delivering education for a very long time via our workshops and uh, in our huge uh, media presence. So the pre-construction route, so they come up with this. Simeon, I have $100,000. I'm looking to get into the GTA. How can I do that? Well, we all know that 20%, $100,000 being your 20%, you're not going to find much for 500 k as an income property or 
as something in the GTA. You're going to have to go to tertiary markets, uh, typically well outside of Burlington even. You're looking at Hamilton, Bradford, the Niagara region, Durham to the east. Actually, you got to get past Oshawa at this point, get it to Clarington, Brooklyn, up north, well past Newmarket. So even Barry 500K does not get you a lot anymore. So all these markets that typically used to be havens for that 500K range no longer exist. So now the condo has replaced the first-time home buyer in the city. The condo has replaced individual landlords, uh, kind of have replaced uh, purpose-built rentals in the core of the, of the city. Because purpose-built re- purpose rentals, excuse me, the financials didn't make sense for a long time for, for builders and developers to build them. The land acquisition cost was too high. So me and you and, and, and the, the common man became the landlord. So with pre-construction, you're investing first and foremost into the future of the city. And when you have Toronto being kind of the epicenter of North America's tech sector for the last five years, it's outperformed New York, Chicago, and Silicon Valley combined in most years. So we have tremendous job growth and tremendous talent being A, produced in Ontario via Kitchener, Waterloo, and London, uh, and B, the immigration that's coming to, to Ontario or to Canada has reached almost 200,000 people per annum just to the GTA alone. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Which is insane. And if you compare that to even just the US as an example, our immigration numbers now, who knows what will happen with the ups and downs of the market. I mean, it's different cycles, et cetera, but that's a, that's a huge number. Well, Canada is always graded in the top kind of three countries or places to live. The world sees that. We're, we're stable. We're not a, a war-torn or war-prone country for that matter. We have a, a universal health po- policy and, and, uh, and mandate in this country, which gives kind of the masses uh, a good reason to sleep at night. The education system here is, can be compared to some of the best in the world. 
I mean, uh, do I think it's the best? No, I think uh, a lot of things can be improved in Canada. But I think compared to most of the, of, of the world, we are extremely high up there. And I'm very proud to live specifically in Ontario, specifically in the G. So that's what makes it so attractive. Mm-hmm. So going back to the pre-construction strategy, when you're buying anywhere close to resale, so pre-construction is typically sold at a 10 to 15% premium gross price per square foot over resale at any given time. Right now, we're kind of seeing in 2020, we're seeing that schism widen a bit. And, and, and when I'm talking, when I say the schism, I'm talking about there's almost a 20 to 25% some cases in the downtown core difference between resale and pre-construction. And that's where things get a little tricky and dangerous. And that's where you as an investor need to have proper counsel as to, you know, where, like, is all pre-construction the same? Is every time I get an email in my inbox from a developer promoting a site, can I just buy that? Or they like, is it going to be just as good? And the answer is absolutely not. The REC, our organization, gets anywhere between 120 and 160 sites a year to review. So we get a call from the developer. Hi, Simeon. I would like you to take a look at our project, see if you would like to push it to your clients. Out of 150 call in, out of 150 projects per year, we pick 12 to 14 projects. Less than 10% of the projects make financial sense to the investor. All right. So I have a, a lot of questions from <laughs> some of these comments. Okay. So I don't buy condos for, for many reasons, but I do find them, them fascinating. And I do find your strategy fascinating regardless. So why are pre-construction condos more of a premium? And were it, was it always like that? Because I, I feel like at some point it changed potentially, but I, I don't follow it as closely as you, but why is it at, at a premium and has it always been that way? Yeah. So, so basically the developer has to buy the land at today's value. So when we're and, and so, so let's talk a little, so half of your question is fully loaded for the downtown core. And the reason for that is that's where you see that, that imbalance. Okay. If you look, if you look at anything West of Mississauga or anything East of Pickering, condos are perfectly in line with the resale market regular and customary, a lot less uh, work to do, a smaller bit, maybe a little bit less cash flow as a result of doing less work, but they're, they're balanced. But when you're investing into the future of Toronto, things are imbalanced and that's going to continue to be imbalanced. So let's call it like I'm a commercial broker by trade. So uh, although I run a team of 30, 33 agents that do residential and investment, me personally, I'm a commercial broker by trade. So I sell. Uh, assembly uh, land, I sell gas stations, office buildings. I currently have over 30 million listed medical buildings, etc. So that, that's what I do for a living. So I also sell land for a living. So Don't worry, say, we'll, we'll have lots of questions about that coming up soon. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, right now I'm working on a site at King and Duffer, which is Toronto's West End, Parkdale. Parkdale is a, is a gentrifying neighborhood. Uh, if anybody kn- knows Regent Park, uh, and you saw Regent Park 15 years ago, and you drive to Regent Park today, you literally would not know where you are. It looks nothing like what it used to. It's a completely, it's been wiped off the map what, what it used to be, and what it is today is a, a beautiful model community of Toronto. Parkdale is transitioning right now. There has been a tremendous amount of development along King West, and Dufferin is kind of where the last of the, of the gentrified already finishes and it's starting more. I'm working on a site there uh, of six homes that are just just north of King on, on, on Dufferin, 
I won't, I won't mark the site completely, but I mean, it's right at King and Duffer, and it's six residential lots. Right now, it's zoned for, like, you could go for, for an application and get mid-rise up to six stories. Not a single developer in the city can buy it and only build six stories. So they need to go for rezone, they need to go for air rights, they need to go down their whole development and due diligence process. Let's say they get approved for 24 stories. The price they pay for the land is going to clearly depend because nobody will do a deal with a developer now unless they're tied to the result. So long gone are the days that a developer, a really smart and smug developer comes, your property's worth a million bucks, I'll give you two million bucks. And you're like, yeah, I'll sell for two million bucks. People are much smarter now. They go to the legal counsel, the lawyer says, no, 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 cut yourself to the result. So now their land is going to be worth six million because it's going to depend on the density and the approval that they get for the high rise. So if the developer has to pay whatever the dollar amount ends up being, it's what it's worth today based on sales and based on factors in the city today. When they're going to build in four years by the time everything is done, their approvals, their, their site plans, their construction, everything, call it a four-year process, call it a five-year process. The cost of construction is going to be exuberantly different the development charges, the city charges, the taxes, the construction costs, the ability to get material, everything goes up on an average of three to 6% per annum. So if you take just that three to 6% per annum, extrapolate it over the four future years, you're looking at a 15 to 20 to 22% market. That, you've explained that so easily for people to understand, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. And, and if they do have questions, I mean, we're here, you're here. So the, these are easy things to, to get to. And for people to also understand something very important, the price of a condo where people think it's obscene, this much for a condo, if people actually knew when this, because the city will go and kind of kind of vilify the developer and the builders as greedy. And there's nobody that's more greedy, both the city of Toronto, uh, well, every municipality, so it has nothing to do with the city of Toronto. They depend so largely on development where they have quadrupled development charges in the last decade, literally 400%, 100% uh, increase just in the last two and a half years alone. So well over 100K of the price of any condo in the city is going straight to the city of Toronto coffers in, lieu, in, in way of development charges. So the margins are definitely not as big as people think they are. Uh, in in the in the city of Toronto, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as as an investor, if you're if you're buying one condo, you definitely want to make sure that it's the the right condo that's going to make sense. The developers, you know, like you've done your due diligence because there's definitely some great ones, and then there's definitely some that are, you know, have a reputation for being not so great. And and I think that's probably where you come in, where you you have that knowledge of you know, who are the ones that, that deliver on time that say that they're going to do certain things. <laughs> there's, there's so many, there's so many things that I can see going wrong with this kind of stuff. Now, even afterwards, uh, you know, keep in mind, you've got condo fees, you've got special assessments, you've got condo boards, there's pros and cons. Yeah, you probably don't have to fix a roof, you know, any of the things that you might have to do in a, in a single detached house, your condo fees are, are going to cover some of that. But again, you want to make sure that you're going to cash flow. You also, if this is four years away, markets go up and markets go down. 
lenders tighten and lenders loosen some of the rules and you may still have a job. You may have no job. You might have a higher income. You might have a lower income. So again, to me, there's risk and there's reward and everything, but like a risk I can think of is, you know, if, if you're going to a downturn and all of a sudden the condo that you purchased, well, you don't longer qualify because you lost your job and then what happened? So, so I can get to some of these things and, and I mean, we can definitely been able to mitigate the majority of your concerns that you just mentioned. We have found ways uh, to mitigate probably 90% of it. And, and so I'll start with a builder. So the, the reason we get pitched 150 deals and we work with 10 to 15 is basically unless you are an experienced, seasoned, well-known and well-capitalized developer, you have no chance working with my team. Why? Every single time we've ever worked with a newer developer, something happened. They canceled the project after two and a half years of tying people's money up. Nobody lost their money, but they lost opportunity costs. We're talking about 50, 60, 100 grand of your money tied up for two and a half years. And somebody sends you a letter to say, oh, I'm sorry, we, we, we kind of mis, misjudged the costs of the project. And here's your money back. Great apologies. Here's a Starbucks card. Get out of here. So right off the bat, you're eliminating 60% of the projects. Number two, we need special incentives for investors. Why? Because Sarah, for example, wants to buy a condo. The condo is built in four years. Sarah is a clerk at an accounting firm making 80 grand a year. Her husband makes 80 grand a year because he, he works at the other accounting firm. And all of a sudden, they were going to live happily ever after, but they didn't make it. So they're no longer getting married. They're no longer investing together. What happens? Life changes, right? Yeah. So, so, so there, there is an assignment provision for that, which means you're going to be able to, to take the contract that you have with your builder and be able to assign it to a new buyer based on the same terms and conditions of the contract. If the market has gone up, you may be able to actualize profit via assignment. I will tell you that in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, I have made, made north of seven figures during the, with this strategy. Uh, in the last couple of years, the government really woke up to it and assignments are now taxed as, in, as regular income in, in, in hot markets. And they're only allowed to be done um, without incurring income tax if it's an actual real provable life situation. So yes, there was a divorce or a party died or whatever the case may be. But if it's me doing an assignment and flipping a hundred grand or 200 grand of profit, that's regular taxable income. And as a matter of fact, it's HST applicable as well. So they're going to charge me 13% of the difference of what I bought it for four years ago to what I sold it for today. So a lot of things have changed in that, but that's how you mitigate against the unknown of the future for yourself. You do negotiate an assignment provision. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. 
They're property investors themselves. So they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also gonna be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're gonna have different plans, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you, should you not, why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they cracked, I think the CRA cracked down on some of this like recently, right? Just the people. Yeah, the, the last two years. The signing. <laughs> they, they, they've come down on us hard, Sarah. They, they came down on us hard. So, so I want to, I want to move away from the condo piece. I will say if anybody has any condo questions, I mean, you know, <laughs> construction, et cetera, ask Simeon again, it's not for everybody, but it, it might be for somebody that's listening to this, but I want, I want to talk about the whole commercial piece. Cause I, I think that's also a huge strength of yours. And this is, this is what you, you do in a way for a living. So let's just say you've got 10 properties or I've got 10 properties or, or whatnot residentially. And I want to get into the commercial realm. It's obviously a whole different ball game. Again, pros and cons, right? Whether you have a job or not, doesn't matter as much as an example. It's, it's so much more based on, on the assets. So when you're analyzing commercial property, and I know there's so many of them, you've got the raw land, you've got the mixed use. Do you like certain types of commercial property more than others? And if so, why? Uh, for sure. So, so first and foremost, people, when people say commercial, they always think like a shopping plaza or just something that looks commercial, it looks like a business. And it's just not the case. Commercial, the commercial umbrella covers anything from a parking lot uh, to a hotel, to a business, to a gas station, to apartment buildings, to retail plazas, to nursing homes, to everything that's non-residential is commercial. So industrial is part of commercial. Investment real estate is part of commercial. It's called ICI. Investment, commercial, industrial. 
So anything non-residential, meaning four doors or whatever the, the rule, five doors, four doors in Ontario? Uh, yeah, I think it's five, except RBC five. will be like six, I think. Right. So, so anything that's not that is commercial. So commercial is a very large discussion. To answer your question, what do I like the most? So I'll tell you what I don't like. What I don't like is single-use commercial, meaning a freestanding pad that's been specifically built for a restaurant in the corner of the highway. So would I buy that commercial opportunity? The answer is no. Why? Because if that highway changes direction, if the highway closes, if anything happens whatsoever, that commercial property is doomed, doesn't have a diversified use, and uh, it's just not for me. So that's more of an end user product. So let's say if I wanted to open an A&W at the corner of Main Street and Anywhere Street, and it's a really very busy corner, it's great for me. And I will roll the dice to buy it because I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to run an A&W for the next 20 years. But for me to invest in the building and lease the A&W, no thank you. So I have no I interest. I don't blame you. I mean, ultimately, like, who else are you going to sell it to afterwards? You've got to sell That's it right. to your end user. Your, your pool of buyers is very narrow. That's right. So, so I think going back to your question, it's easier to answer now, is you, when you're looking at, especially if it's your first commercial investment. But to, to, to even the savvy investor, they're going to look for the, a property that's as easy and as relatable to as many uses as possible, that is well-located and close to traffic and residential neighborhoods. If you're looking for retail, if you're looking for industrial, it needs to be close to an industrial park and have access to highways and transportation that doesn't have provisions on noise levels and everything else. It's just a big discussion. But um, you want to make sure that you're, if you're buying a small retail strip, make sure that there's no banned uses. So, because if you have a banned use or restrictive covenants is what they're called in commercial, uh, then you're tied to specific operators only, and that only makes your life harder. So get something that has some of those fundamentals like you mentioned and more than, than one type of use. So residential real estate is usually on MLS. I mean, unless you're buying off a wholesaler. How do you, how does somebody find commercial real estate? Yeah, so, so unfortunately, uh, things are not as, uh, as easy. You do, it's, it's, I would say, 70% relationship-based. And the longer you're in the business, the more people and brokers that you meet. And, it's, and it, I can tell you, it's such a small world, especially, well, I can't speak for everywhere, but in Ontario or in the greater horseshoe, I'm not even saying greater Toronto, Greater Horseshoe, it's a very small world. So we all kind of know each other. We all kind of uh, know each other's strengths and what our specialties are. Uh, like I don't do a lot of industrial. And, and even if I get it, unless it's in my backyard, I'm going to refer it to one of my colleagues. Uh, and I'm not going to colleagues just that within the Royal Page commercial family I'm talking. I don't care if they're at Cushman or CBRE or JLL. I'm going to refer it to one of my friends because they're gonna do the same for me. So you kinda uh, stay in your lane, focus on what you're good at. And uh, I personally am really good with multifamily, apartment buildings up to kind of like 40, 60 units. Uh, after that, you're getting more into the capital markets uh, players like uh, pension funds, et cetera. And they analyze things very differently. I work on medical buildings, I work on office buildings, I work on income approach. So as long as there is uh, a pro forma that's still within the parameters of non-capital markets people who look into diversifying it over a 20-year period. And, like They just look at different risks. They look at risk differently because they're so well capitalized, but they have to pay back investors and dividends. 
So as long as it's within the realm of kind of normalcy, that small to medium size uh, portfolio buyer, that's my wheelhouse. So anything in that range up to my, my biggest transaction ever is, uh, is in the forties of millions, not in a hundred million dollar transaction. So that 50 million and under is my wheelhouse. Okay. So, I mean, it is interesting. Obviously a lot of the commercial real estate investing investors are looking at it way before it hits MLS. So if it does hit MLS, it's probably had a lot of eyeballs. How do you get your hands on something? You personally working in the industry that you're working, not an investor in general, but how are you, Simeon, finding these deals? And how does that work when you're like, I have a potential buyer? Does that all happen behind the scenes or walk us through that? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you guys some uh, some some insider tips. How about that? Let, let me give you guys some value right now. Let me tell you how not to have to call me. Uh, it's all good. Uh, you can call me if you need to. But uh, th- there are a few websites out there that are publicly accessible that are not just for brokers. The biggest uh, one that I find most success with, and this is an old school website, don't expect it to look like uh, like Apple, like an Apple website. It looks... Uh, kind of like a very HTML-ish, but it's called ICI World. Uh, if you Google ICI World, you're legit going to find, I would say, 75 to 80% of the pocket listings out there. So it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous, it's a gem of a website. It's probably the website that's made me the most money by 10,000% of any other publication, of any other commercial and investor magazine. Like it just gets so much traffic, both by brokers and principals alike. So if you guys are looking at commercial opportunities, like, I mean, I have a massive presence on there because we have so many listings, but uh, you're going to find a truckload of value and there's nothing really that you can't find. Like all the niches, like if you're looking for a, like a yard to put your bulldozers in, you're going to find it there. It's insane. So um, yeah, I would say ICI world is a tremendous resource for, people outside the industry to really find a lot of those populistic. So who puts the listings up? Is that somebody that would own the actual property or would they call JLL or, you know, Cushman or something like that and says, I want to list my building and that's where they list it. Like, how does that work? Uh, so again, like the majority of uh, listings are relationship based. So I'll tell you right now, I have a, I have a medical building listed and it's $13 million listed. So it's a 60,000 square foot medical, uh, medical uh, office facility located in Vaughan, Jane Rutherford. Um, and I did a deal with uh, this set of doctors, I would say almost a decade ago. So how did this deal happen? I'll just tell you an interesting story. I listed, I, I'm heavily involved in the restaurant business, uh, even to this day with operating restaurants. So I listed a restaurant on, at Eglinton and Let's call it Eglinton and Allen Road. I just can't give actual. <laughs> so, so let's call it Allen and Eglinton, kind of Toronto West, just, just after Forest Hill, et cetera. So Eglinton and Allen. There's a restaurant there I listed. It was a business for sale only. I listed it up for 150000 I get a call from, from somebody claiming to, to be interested in buying it. I'm like, okay, sure. Like I can, take, I can show you the premises. I show up and this guy clearly didn't know his head from his ass when it comes to a restaurant. I was like, are you sure you're looking for a restaurant, buddy? Like, something's off here. Like, just tell me. You can tell me. Like, I'm here now. You've wasted my time. Now I'm here. Just tell me the truth so I can go home happy. Like, let me buy you a coffee. That's funny. 
So it just so happens that he's Greek as well. So we kind of connected from a personal level. And uh, it turns out that he ran a medical practice downstairs. So it's a classic Toronto retail strip with residential upstairs or with a, with a restaurant or a business upstairs. In this case, it was business and it was a restaurant. So he goes, I'm looking to expand my clinic. I don't want the landlords to know that I'm looking to do this because they know I'm a doctor and they're going to think I'm rich and they're going to try, what, try to, gouge, to gouge me. I was like, you're really overreacting is what I said. Nobody thinks anything. Everybody makes logical decisions based on what's happening out there. And welcome to commercial real estate. That's my job is to make sure everybody's level-headed and we can come to a deal. I was like, do you have any idea what it's going to cost you to rip this restaurant out and convert it? He goes, this much. I said, okay. If you're going to spend this much, why don't we look at a building for sale that's down the street that we could actually have a purpose-built medical office and half of it's for sale and the other half is not. But he goes, well, I need this much. I was like, why don't we ask the person if they want to sell the other half as well? Mm-hmm. He goes, you can do that? I was like, yeah, you can do anything. If you don't ask, you don't get. So sure enough, I knock on the door. I was like, hi, I hear you. This is for sale. I was like, what if I were to give you, you know, this much? And you sell me the whole thing. He goes, oh, what is it for? I said, it's just an investor looking to, to potentially knock it down and do something with it. So it's not worth that much to him. Because mm-hmm. if I told him he, it was for medical, he would have tried to rip them a new one. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I said, uh, we're just one of my investors looking to do something in the neighborhood. Came to terms. We came to terms. He bought, so 10 year, almost 10 years ago, we bought a building literally across the street, literally across the street from where he was about to waste half a million dollars in a renovation. Wow. Pay rent out the yin-yang for the rest of his days. He bought a building and he put less than $500,000 down to buy the building. Doctors in Ontario get 100% financing on all construction of their medical offices. So he didn't have to put a dime of his own money into that building. He built it out and has sold it since for 300% what he bought it for and what he built it for. Fast forward 10 years, they've done it three more times where they bought pre-construction commercial uh, built. They bought it for, let's call it $5 million. They put X amount of dollars into it, and now it's worth $30 million because it's all tainted out. So they're graduating to bigger and bigger plates. Oh, that's, I mean, that's great. So, so how often then, because I, you know, I keep hearing that with commercial, it's door knocking, it's talking to the, the sellers, you know, maybe it's not today, but 10 years from now. Like, exactly. Right. And that's what happens. So percentage wise, if you had to throw and your best guess out there of like how many deals are actually done that way by maybe pulling a purview report and figuring out who the owner is, contacting them, starting the conversation, maybe they're not ready yet, but two years, five years later, they, they call you back. I would say a very significant amount. I'm talking probably 30, 40% of your deals per year are going to be from whack and crazy activity a few years back every year. Of course, you're going to have your clients saying hi, I need to sell my building or whatever the case may be. But the majority, like a, a very, a very significant portion of every year's business comes from nurturing over time, over time. So would the benefit be of hiring you as an example to ask you, here's what we're looking for. Can you go find it? It's not on the market today. Are you or your team going out there knocking on doors or is that still something that you would expect the investor to do? I think it's going to be a collaborative effort. And and I really do mean that there's nobody that cares more about your portfolio than you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're a massive practice. I have a lot of, uh, very strong practitioners that work for me. Uh, even my own personal book of business 
is now handled by my VP of commercial, who is uh, a guy just under 30 years old uh, that I've nurtured and uh, groomed. And he's been my apprentice for a few years now. And like, I don't have enough time to do my own portfolio. So my own book of business, I mean, I'll counsel, of course, because these are deep relationships and I'm involved, but I personally don't have time to be on the street. There's just no way. But uh, my troops on the ground, man, like they, they battle it out. And yeah, they're, they're door knocking and uh, they're definitely doing out there what they can for their, for their clients. But nobody will ever do what you will do. So as, as my, here's another tip in a newsflash. Um, if you don't take care of yourself, nobody will. If you're not out there learning, don't expect to, 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 to get to the, to the promised land fast. So yes, it's tremendously important to work with the right guys, guys who are known for going the extra mile, people who, who actually care about the deal and they're not, they're not looking for the transaction for the commission. Like there's nothing you can do. There's not a single deal that will ever incent me to do something wrong. I've been doing things right for so long that like I'm scared of my own shadow of something going wrong and my reputation being tarnished. Mm-hmm. So when you run when you run a big ship and the responsibility and weight is so significant, it's very hard for you to make a stupid decision because you think things through. The people who work for me, they want to be tied to our result. They want to be where they are. They make a lot more money as a result of being part of my team and having the, the, the luxury of getting the calls coming in as opposed to them calling out. So they take care of the investor a lot more than a, a different, a random person would. There is an advantage to working with, with good, strong people. But the investor himself, if you are looking to stay within your budget and you want to hit specific uh, goals and markers, like I want an ACAP, well, you're not going to get an ACAP anywhere in the Toronto region, anywhere in the GTA. But you can get an ACAP in Tilsonburg. You can get an ACAP in, in other markets, but you need to know where those are. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to take a step back. Can you explain cap rates? And can you also explain a little bit the NOI? Because I think it, analyzing commercial versus residential, I mean, you have to look at the NOI. You have to look at the area cap and what that cap rate is, et cetera. But there's a lot of other things. And you mentioned date cap. Yeah. Maybe just give us a bit of a definition on that and how you do that analysis. Uh, yeah. So I'll give you a very, again, high level. I'd be happy to, to come back and give you guys a whiteboard. Of really, uh, I mean, I know this could be a whole hour conversation. <laughs> this could be a minimum of a three-hour conversation because yeah. we could go down the cap rate and, and how to uh, add value and then cap compress backwards to, to literally make hundreds of thousands of dollars on on any play. There's so many different techniques that you can deploy as a as an investor to make money. So we can definitely come back for this. But let me explain right off the hop. What is a cap rate? It's a, it's your capital return on investment. So uh, for $100,000 is what you deploy to the marketplace. There's a cash on cash return and there's an investment return. So $100,000, let's just use 200 for a second. So it gives us to a million. So $200,000 is going to buy you a million dollar property. The rent is $10,000 a month. So $120,000 a year. I'm trying to keep math very, very simple because we don't have a whiteboard. And you guys can always... Rewind and listen to it again. A hundred percent. So the rent is ten thousand a month times twelve months, one hundred twenty k a year. That is the gross operating income, not used to calculate cap rate. That is the gross. 
And that's that's an important thing that you just mentioned. When you look at the gross rents, that does not, you have to subtract (laughs) your expenses to get to your net operating income. But but that's a big, big piece because if you take that number, everything's going to be super inflated. Super inflated and your, your investment will be completely, utterly wrong. So because in, in the spirit of keeping things simple and not realistic, your, your, your gross operating income for the year is 120000 I'm going to tell you that the expenses are 20000 a year just to get to a 100 k So the net operating income, we took away the property taxes, the common area maintenance, also known as CAM in commercial, uh, also called as TMI, which is tax maintenance insurance. So if you see these terms being thrown around, CAM, common area maintenance, or TMI, taxes, maintenance, insurance, they are referring to operating expenses. So 120 minus all your expenses, we come to 100,000, which is your net operating income. That's what you're going to bring home to your bank account from the rental of this building. So this is a 10 cap building, meaning it creates 10% return on that million. But that is not your cash on cash. So there's different metrics and different things to look at, depending on who you are as an investor, depending on what you value as an investor. Are you looking for a high cash of cash? Are you looking for a high or low or whatever cap rate as as a total because you're not using your money? It just depends what you're looking to do. But when we talk about cap rate, we are talking about the net operating income over the purchase price of a building. That gives us our cap rate. Absolutely. And this is often what the lenders will look at among like the building itself and, you know, and a few other things in order to loan out and the lenders may not loan out a certain amount. So, so some lenders will say this building, we could do maximum 65% loan to value, 70% loan to value. So it, it feels like it differs a little bit. However, you know, whether or not you have income from a job, at that point in time, it doesn't matter. The building, the building is really that piece. So if you're wondering, okay, I don't have a job, but I've got some, you know, some good amount of cash to invest in something, commercial may be an option uh, for you. So, so uh, I will give you just in uh, a few sentences the pros and cons. The pros of commercial investing are the fact that they're not residential tenancies. So you're not nursing and holding on to tenants or taking you a year and a half to evict them. They don't pay the rent, 30 days, 60 days, you call the sheriff, locks are changed, bye-bye. You take all the assets that are inside, you can get those sold off at auction, you can put that against the money that you're owed. As a a commercial tenancy, all your tenancies are always net of operating expenses, meaning, so if you look at terms out in the marketplace like NNN, which is triple net, what does that mean? That means that the rental space, so Sarah owns a plaza, I'm gonna open up a, a pizza place. She's going to tell me that the rent is 50 bucks plus TMI. So 50 bucks a square foot per annum. So let's say it's a thousand square feet. It's 50 bucks a square foot. That's 50,000 a year plus TMI. So this is a triple net lease to Sarah, meaning that she's not going to pay property taxes, insurance, or any maintenance fees out of her own pocket. The proportionate share of my premises divided by the operating expenses is due by me as a commercial operator. The 50 bucks to her is net income. So the 50,000 divided by 12, which is 4,200 bucks a month or whatever that works out to, is net income to her. So having a commercial tenancy of that nature 
blows a residential tenancy out of the water because she has nothing to think about. So as long as Sarah can provide a AAA site and she's a good property manager, she's going to make money hand over fist for the rest of her life. Yeah, absolutely. And I do like the fact that the contracts can differ. You know, so, so triple net is obviously what you want to aim for if you can, but you're not stuck to this like Ontario standard lease when it comes to now, of course, when you're doing residential commercial where you're doing multifamily as an example, that still obviously applies to the Residential Tenancies Act and, and you know, the LTB. But when it comes to commercial, you know, businesses, they just don't have the same type of rights as end user tenants that are living there. And I think because we're living in Ontario, that's actually a, a huge plus. Now, you know, there's ups and downs, there's market cycles, and everybody always needs a place to live. However, not everybody needs a storefront or an office or that kind of stuff. So, you know, what are some things that we should be aware of when it comes to the, the downward cycles of a market when it comes to commercial? Yeah, so, so, so I think natural selection and uh, the world has created that buffer. Those who are financially weaker than others are not able to get into commercial in the first place. They're not going to be able. So first of all, commercial interest rates are different. The ability to get financing uh, depends solely on the merits of the property, uh, not so much on you. You still have to personally guarantee it. But like, you need to be pretty financially independent and strong to get into what's real. I'm not talking about a five-plex. So like if we're talking like a technical term commercial, if you want to get into a 20 plex, it's a different story. 24 plex, 32 plex, whatever the case may be. So as we get in, in, in although those are governed, just to a note to, to your previous comment, although uh, a 24 plex is governed by the same laws that protect tenants, when you have 24 doors, you're mitigating all those risks. Like even if you have three bad apples in the bunch, they're not going to do shit to you because you have 21 others making it up. That's the whole point of that being a commercial investment. You're, you're not managing a couple of doors. When the roof goes, the cost is mitigated across 24 units, not two. So that, that's what makes that a true commercial investment. So yes, you're governed by different laws, but you're still mitigating against market forces by uh, scale of economies. So you're, you're making the economies of scale work for you. Going back to your comment of a downturn in a market, mm -hmm. if you're not sure you could survive a six-month shitstorm, and I'm really using strong language because I really want people to get it. Commercial retail plazas, office buildings, we can talk about global events. We can talk about what COVID did uh, to 2020 as a year. 2020 was, was started off as probably one of the biggest appreciating real estate years on record. So by March of 2020, uh, our company was almost at 45% of our annual target in the first quarter. Yeah, I was looking at the stats and they were like surpassing 2017. Correct. Like way higher as I was. Correct. It was know. actually, it was actually worrisome. Yeah, Because like, we're like, when you have that kind of growth, it's poised for, market, for government intervention. So what we didn't want as a broker community, as real estate investors, is more bullshit to come down the pipe, like rent control and, and all this crap. God only knew what, what actually came down the pipe with the, the COVID madness, but I don't really want to go in, in, into COVID at all because that's kind of a time in, it's, it's a time in history and it happened. Oh, and at the end of the day, but to keep in mind though, if you're listening to this, there's going to be another COVID, whether it's COVID or not, there's going to be another downward turn and, and another upward and another downward. I mean, it goes in cycles up and down and up and down. So it's just important to plan. That's right. And that's the point that we're getting at. So in commercial real estate, a six month stint of not getting a rent is not crippling. It's actually your debt. 
you're dead. Unless there's government intervention where there's typically none or very little, you're not going to be able to weather the storm. So unless you have a plan and you you have your contingency play marked very clearly for yourself, and that's, of course, something that we do avidly with our investors. We take a look at where they're at uh, and we give them scenarios. Obviously, not a pandemic, but we're saying like, if tomorrow morning John Tory passes a law saying that Eglinton's going to close for new sewers, what are you going to do? Your tenants are going to be 80% less revenue for the next 12 to 14 months. They're going to tell you that they can't pay you. What are you going to do? Like, well, I don't know. Well, you're not buying this property. I mean, because, because it will happen to you. Risk, right? Higher reward brings in higher risk as well. You've got to plan for a lot more. It's both. It's lower risk when, when, when the sun is shining. Mm-hmm. It's lower risk because you're talking about 5, 10, and 15-year tenancies. We're talking about tenancies that are dependent on, on, on sales. And if you have a great location, the sales are steady in that neighborhood, you're going to be good forever. That's the whole point of it. But you have to be financially strong enough to be able to weather the rain. If, if, if you see a couple of drops in the sky and you're going to fall apart, well, you shouldn't be here. You can't be here. So it's just very, very important to pay close attention and, and know yourself and your tolerance for risk, both emotionally so you can sleep at night and, of course, physically that you can weather a storm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny because I told you this was going to take 35 to 40 minutes and I'm just looking at the time and we've almost been been at it for an hour. I mean, we definitely have to come bring you back and... <laughs> keep talking about so many topics. The next part of this podcast to me in is our lightning rounds. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions. You can give me the first answer that comes to mind. You ready? Awesome. Ready. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Complete Properties. If you need a great property manager to help you in the Niagara, Hamilton, and Burlington markets, reach out to Margaret Cameron at 905-920-7886. She can also be reached at Margaret at Complete pminc.com via email or the website completepropertiesinc.com. All right, quick and snappy answers. Number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Donald Campbell, anything Donald Campbell has written. Yeah, I love him too. Number two, what is your favorite podcast if you listen to podcasts? The REC Experience, our own podcast. That's awesome. I was on your podcast too, tons of fun. So if you guys haven't heard... Uh, his podcast, go check it out. <laughs> Number three. It's the REC experience. We're all over YouTube. No, joking aside, I think my favorite podcast in the world, uh, it's not real estate related. Uh, it would be the Joe Rogan experience. I think he's fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Number three, what do you do for fun when you're not working or doing anything real estate related? I spend time with my family and, I, and I'm really into boating and uh, uh, motorcycling. Nice. Do you own a boat? I do. Where do you dock it? Uh, Marina Four in Toronto. All right, perfect. Right I'll, I'll be waiting for my invitation. <laughs> <laughs> and you will, and you shall have it. Uh, awesome. have it. Yeah, vote it up to Quarthas. Come, uh, come by the cottage. <laughs> Family. All right. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep it short because like it's something that I'm planning, and I don't want to take up your audience's time with my plan to go all the way up those trends several ways. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> nice. All right. Question number four: If you lost all of your money and your your income and you also lost all your assets how would you start again i would start again the exact same way i built my assets this time and it's pre-construction investing finding the best market and investing in its future and you're you're basically leveraging and hedging at the same time it's pretty insane anybody wants to know how i'll teach you how 
Awesome. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they do want to get started, what do you recommend they do? Uh, they need to get into a resale property. I believe strongly in house hacking. They need to get into a two-door investment where they occupy one of the doors and the other one is providing income for them. So an existing liquid, well, as liquid as real estate can get uh, is the income property. So I would strongly urge them for their first property to be a semi uh, and uh, for them to take one space and rent out the other. Awesome. All right. And uh, that was our, our lightning round, Simeon. If our listeners, my listeners wanted to reach out and know more about you, where can they go? Uh, they can definitely check out our site at uh, recanada.com. That's recanada.com. We're all over Facebook, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Uh, on Instagram, I'm S. Papalias. Facebook, I believe, Simeon Papalias. And LinkedIn as well. So it's just my name. But REC Canada will kind of take you to our, to see what, what it is we actually do. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show, on my podcast, providing all of your insights and knowledge. I mean, guys, reach out to Simeon and if you have any questions about commercial, real estate investing, multifamily, condos. I mean, this guy is doing it, still actively investing himself. And you know, we, we, have, a, we have a very large team. Uh, I, I want to thank my team for always being able to do this for us. But before we go, I want to thank you for everything that you do for the investor community. I've told you this when I first met you, and I still stand by it very much today. You lead by creating value to others, and you lead by giving first. All you do, young lady, is, and I'm not to say that I'm old, but all you do is give value, and I'm very proud of the work that you do. So keep up the good work. I think uh, a lot of people appreciate it and love what you do. So I'm happy to be here, and I heard from a little birdie that you're going to be making a big, big appearance on the REC branches. So stay tuned, <laughs> people. Stay tuned. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, Simeon. Have a great evening. Thank you, Sarah. Take care. Hey, guys. Before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but... As I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step -step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.